You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Irishman. Frank Sheeran. I saying that right? Yeah, you said it right. Uh, under the contract, management can only fire a driver on very specific charges. So, you have a show up late? No. Do you have any moving violations? No. Do you drink on the job? No. Do you ever hit anybody? On a job? Yeah. I don't think so. All right, then. We don't have nothing to worry about. But now I'm a man. I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. It was like the army. You followed orders. You did the right thing. You got rewarded. I'm a man. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. A friend at the top. Back then, there was nobody in this country who didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa was. Charge a guy with a gun. With a knife, you run away. So you charge with a gun, with a knife, you run. Hiya, Frank. Would you like to be a part of history? Yes, I would. Big business and the government are working together, trying to pull us apart. Something's got to be done. What else you say? Now's not the time to not say. We're going at war with these people. War. Things have gotten out of hand with our friend. You gotta sit down, everybody says so. No, I'm not sitting down, I can't do it! It's what it is. What it is. I know things they don't know I know. It's gonna happen. Either way, he's going. You know, I don't, uh, I don't care whether you did it or not. That makes no difference to me. Yeah, I don't. I'm here to defend you, right? Right. What do you want to know? You want to know if I did it or not? All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for The Irishman, and the story is as follows. An epic saga of organized crime and post-war America told through the eyes of World War II veteran Frank Sheeran, a hustler and hitman who worked alongside some of the most notorious figures of the 20th century. Spanning decades, the film chronicles one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in American history, the disappearance of legendary union boss Jimmy Hoffa, and offers a monumental journey through the hidden corridors of organized crime, its inner workings, rivalries, and connections to mainstream politics. The film is starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, Bobby Cannavale, Anna Paquin, and Stephen Graham. It is directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Stephen Zalian. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Ryan C. Showers. You talking to me? I am talking to you. You talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not the only one here, so I guess you must be talking to all of us. Cody Derricks. I heard you make podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> Tom O'Brien. Not even trying. Hi, everybody. It is what it is. <laughs> I wish I didn't try, so. <laughs> All right, so, The Irishman, a uh, film that I was actually just saying to everybody uh, off air uh, from myself personally has been my most anticipated film actually this decade. I could not remember a movie in recent memory that I was more excited for than this. If you guys listened to our review of Goodfellas recently in preparation for The Irishman, I expressed how that movie for me uh, was very, very big and very influential, um, not just on my life as a cinephile, but also to just 
in terms of like understanding like the Italian American like crime culture and you know as someone growing up as an Italian American it like kind of weaves its way into a certain extent but not really you know what I'm saying in any event <laughs> uh, Martin Scorsese's films have always had a huge impact on me and The Irishman in many ways feels like a culmination of so much. So heading in, I had tremendous amount of expectations. I was fortunate enough to see it at the world premiere at New York Film Festival. And then I actually saw it again the very next day. So seven of my 24 hours <laughs> were taken up watching The Irishman. And I cannot wait to rewatch it again, actually. Um, I am waiting for the Netflix release. It is currently playing in theaters right now, but I want to uh, experience it with my roommates, actually, uh, when it comes on uh, Netflix on November 27th. So some of you uh, have had the chance to see it in the theater already. Congrats to all of you. I hope that many people that are listening right now also get that opportunity. But if not, it will be on Netflix. We are ready to talk about it. This is The Irishman. The reunion of Joe Pesci Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese, and Al Pacino, who has never worked with Martin Scorsese before. I've got thoughts. Everyone's got thoughts. Why don't we start off actually with Tom O'Brien. Tom, what were your general thoughts on The Irishman? This is an emotion that I didn't expect, but by the end of it, I was very moved by the film. It's so elegiac. It's almost... I'd say almost melancholy, and Mr. Scorsese would probably not mind the comparison, but it reminded me of the late films of John Ford and Howard Hawks, in Ooh. that it, he's depicting the end of an era, and not just in gangster life, but this kind of gangster life, but also in the De Niro Pesci team, and what we had seen, what we have seen over the many decades of those two men working together. This will probably be the last time. And when you you hit the last half hour of this film, uh, I was almost brought to tears. It's a beautiful, beautiful film and one that has stayed with me since I've seen it. It does kind of feel like a once in a generation type thing because it has been 25 years since uh, Martin Scorsese and uh, Robert De Niro have worked together since Casino. And it feels like the stars, it took a quarter of a century, but the stars realigned for all these guys to come together and for Al to be involved in what as well. Yeah. And it, it, it just feels like heading in, it just feels like it is something special and to emerge from it, even with a 209 minute running time for it to still be something very, very special despite that. Cause let me tell you, I understand three and a half hours is a commitment for people. It's, it really is something extraordinary. Let's see if the momentum holds here. Uh, let's pass it over now to Casey. Yeah, so I saw this a couple weeks ago at the Philadelphia Film Festival, which was fitting for this slightly Philly movie at times. Um, <laughs> the crowd loved some of those references. I just want to make that clear. That was a great experience. But I went into this anticipating it. I was excited for it, of course. But I didn't expect to love it as much as I did beyond just the fact that it's so impeccably made and I knew that it would be impeccably made. But it also just felt nice to sit down and be like, this is someone who knows how to make a movie, which is refreshing. <laughs> but I think that I was won over by, I think the length of it works because I feel like you feel like you've lived a life by the end of it. It's so yeah. long in a good way. And I think that, yeah, like Tom said, it moved me by the end and I just was so enraptured by it and I was never bored and 
Yeah, I was just surprised. I'm more just surprised, if anything, because I feel like it's kind of maybe rethink what types of movies that I like, if that makes any sense. Like, I was expecting myself to like it, but not as much as I did. And I think that that is a testament to how great it is. Cool. Excellent. Cody, what about yourself? I almost completely agree with everything Casey just said. So I went in kind of a little bit uh, nervous is the wrong word, but I mean, like, three and a half hours and you keep reading reports about how like contemplative and slow it is. And I'm like, I don't want to be the one who comes out of this saying I was bored by the Irishman, but thankfully I was not literally every single minute of this. I was engrossed in the story, in the filmmaking in the acting in the writing. It is like people at the top of their craft, crafting something um, like Matt said, possibly towards the end of their life, which is like, really just amazing to watch somebody wrestle with that in real life on the screen. There's like a meta commentary there in a yeah, sort of way with exactly. everybody involved, right? Isn't that like really special? Yeah. It's a movie that could not have been made at any other time in any of these people's lives, which is yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. And yeah. like you said, it's about Jimmy Hoffa and the machinations there, but it's not really about that. It's about people reflecting on their life and saying, was it all worth it? And like I said, you can only do that with like gravitas and reality at this point in their lives. Um, I was completely blown away by this movie. I found it profoundly moving and an amazing piece of filmmaking. I, I really, really love this movie. I do not know where I heard this, but I remember before the movie came out, I remember uh, hearing somewhere, someone, maybe it was just a funny tweet, but somebody being like, so the Irishman is basically going to be Scorsese's Amour. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? It wasn't exactly that. It, it still has elements that we're very familiar with from Martin Scorsese. Uh, but Tom is right. When it gets to that third act, it feels like he's doing something that, uh, to your point, Cody, could only be done by him now. He could not have done this 20-something years ago. It just wouldn't have the same impact, I don't think. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Are we uh, are we across the board or what? Absolutely across the board. Ah, right. This has the potential to be my favorite movie of the year. Um, so weirdly, I feel as though The Irishman is um, it 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 has ver- has several homages to much of Scorsese's older films, and um, I saw a lot of Godfather um, shout outs too. But um, it's weird, like it has traces of many of his other films. Yet this is something completely and totally different from anything he's ever done. I found it to be a very slow movie, but a very deep movie. And um, I didn't. Abs- I, it, it's impossible to absorb all of this in one sitting. Um, but so I can't wait to revisit it and revisit it. <sighs> um, I just found it to be a masterclass. And these um, the performances, the, the three performances at the center of this are the best. It's, it's the best work from each of these actors in my lifetime. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. In your lifetime. So since you've been born, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a minute, I was like, wait a minute, of all time? Oh, no, 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 his lifetime. Okay. My lifetime, (laughs) my 1995 onward. Yeah, no, and that that makes perfect sense. Uh, You know, I I think we can all agree uh, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci has been around, but De Niro and Pacino, easily best work they've done in the last maybe 25 years, easily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I found the pace to be um, it walks a perfect line of being of being slower but still being very captivating and reflective. Um, and I loved the mood and everything that um, Scorsese was asking with this movie. And um, 
I can't wait to revisit it and continue to look for the answers to what the questions that he's asking. Yeah, I know a lot of people say every time a new Martin Scorsese film gets released, oh, this is his masterpiece, this is his masterpiece, this is his masterpiece. You know, it's interesting because I was one who said when Silence came out, I thought that was a masterpiece made by him. Partly because he's always done like, you know, religious films or films that have dealt with uh, Catholic guilt. Uh, The Irishman also uh, explores that theme once again. And uh, that just felt like, to me, a culmination, if you will, of his religious movies that he's made before. Kundun, Last Temptation of Christ. The Irishman feels like a culmination of the gangster genre, which he helped to redefine, uh, created a new cinematic language, if you will, that people have been trying to copy pretty much ever since. And the only time we ever see it, I think, get properly done is when he himself does it, <laughs> you know, Departed, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street has some elements in there um, and with that kinetic style. And The Irishman, to me, feels like it's taking Scorsese's like greatest moments throughout his entire career. Um, you're getting the energy of something like Goodfellas. It may not be consistent throughout, but you're still getting elements of it in there somewhere. You're getting the Catholic guilt that he has explored in his uh, movies before. You're also getting this uh, contemplative, reflective, slow, tranquil quality that you know he employed more in something like Silence, for example. And The Irishman, you know, it's like, I was very hesitant walking out of NYFF to say, Yep, that's uh, that's Marty's new masterpiece. But I think time will be extremely kind to it because it's more than just one thing. Um, Ryan, I think when you said you can't wait to revisit it and see what else it reveals to you over time, it's a time capsule of history in many ways. It, it's I've heard it compared to Forrest Gump in a sense, you know, in that there's so many elements throughout these uh, uh, decades of history that these characters are tied to. Um, it's got great performances from everyone across the board. Um, there's a lot going on thematically, and I think there's a lot of stuff in the filmmaking too. And there's one thing in particular I want to get into a little bit later on. But the first thing I'm going to bring up, uh, that I want to hear, uh, just some general thoughts on from everyone here is I would say the first hour is the most familiar, um, in terms of Scorsese style, the storytelling, how everything's kind of unfolding. Second hour is when Pacino comes into the, into the story, and I felt like the movie got a jolt because he's just so damn good in this. Uh-huh. And then, like, the last hour, hour and a half is, like, just sheer perfection. Uh, what, what, what do you guys think of that? I think it's, um, like, you, like we're all saying, it kind of culminates in a specific way that you can only do when you have three hours of buildup, essentially, to the grand finale. And... Yeah. Like you're saying, it's really divided up fairly evenly in these segments, but things that will come to play uh, in terms of importance later, specifically something like the character of Peggy, are sewn throughout the entire movie so that when we get to the end, it's like a grand finale that they can just play on all the elements we've come up with, uh, we've, we've encountered so far in shorthand. And it really just speaks to the care of of both the direction of the screenplay that when we get to the end, we're able to just sit back and just have him <laughs> work over us. Is that weird to say? Yeah, but, no. I mean, it, it oh, totally yeah. does. I mean, it's interesting too, because it's a Netflix film and in some ways, you know, a movie that I didn't think this was warranted for necessarily like the, um, the hateful eight where they broke it up into parts and you could watch it on Netflix in different parts. 
the Irishman, when you're watching it, actually feels like that. I, I could very easily see this of being like a, you know, miniseries, uh, five, six parts, what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a, a movie where I felt like I got that amount of contents worth in the 209 minute runtime. And more often than not, how many times have you guys heard me say on a, on a film review, this should have been a miniseries. They needed more time to flesh things out, so on and so forth. Well, yeah. 209 minutes. Here you go. You know, yeah. it's all and right I, there. I, I had the same thought. I was, and I remember thinking while I was watching the movie, I kind of wish they do. I kind of hope they do do the hateful eight thing of breaking it up because then people will probably be more apt to watch it. But on second thought, I think you need to experience it all in one sitting in one yeah. prolonged yeah. for that third act to really hit you. For it yeah. to all pay yeah. off. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I always, I always saw now act one as Scorsese setting the table and no one sets the table like Martin Scorsese. It's entirely entertaining, beautifully made. He lays out, he introduces his characters in a way that you really like them right away, even though sometimes they do some nefarious things. Oh, and what about the text on the screen? Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. That sh- that tells the audience like how certain characters uh, will die, but and I don't think this is a spoiler to say one of the fascinating things about that for me is we actually never see any of those deaths actually happen. Nope. Yeah, they're but inconsequential. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, the point of it reminds right? you of the fate that lies in this lifestyle. Exactly, and, and I just in- go ahead, Cody. Not to spoil the ending, but it it really does kind of make it uh, really important that we saw how many people died, especially in a specific like point of time. Like a lot of them were around the early '80s, and to see and this isn't really a spoiler because we see him in this age early on, but to see De Niro clearly having lasted it and still acting the way he acts, it makes it even more tragic. Yeah, You know, and that's the other interesting thing, too. So the story starts off, um, kind of starts off like, you know, because it's like a flashback to World War II. Uh, so he's, you know, maybe say, I don't know, in his like 20s. I, I naturally assume De Niro in this movie uh, in the first hour, hour and a half or so, um, I, I assume he's supposed to be in his mid 30s. Right. Is it, is, does that track for everybody? I think uh, maybe during the war flashback, but like I, I assumed that it was he was like in his late forties, fifty. Okay, because I know that when the movie gets to two thousand and like three or whatever it is, yeah. I know he's supposed to be in his eighties. Um, so okay. yeah, so I was like trying to figure it out. Okay, during World War Two, would he have been, you know. 20 or it was a little little tough but what i'm getting at here with this though in that regard is um the way that the story tracks um this man uh aging throughout the story and you know we have this narrative device in play of him telling the story via flashback with voiceover narration once again another martin scorsese uh storytelling device that he's popularized over the years yep and, you know, yeah, you're right. We we know eventually where he does end up. And there is kind of this lingering question, I feel like, as we're watching it of, well, what's going to become of him? Because he's in the old folks nursing home telling us the story. We're thinking to ourselves, is he going to get whacked in the nursing home? Uh, you know, does something else happen? Uh, and I think like, you know, seeing these uh, text for all these characters and just the overriding theme of the movie is death is just knocking on everybody's door 
at mm-hmm. one point or another, um, we're all we're all going to end up in the ground, <laughs> you know, or in an incinerator. It depends. <laughs> One thing that's really interesting about this movie is I I love the death scenes um, throughout. They're done very quickly and abruptly and like pretty harshly. And then cold, actually, I would very, I would say very cold. cold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, bam, done. De Niro walks away. Like, and I, I think there is something um, Martin Scorsese is trying to convey as he reflects on his life about how uh, how time can pass so quickly and how thing you know what is the meaning of certain things and uh, how far do certain things stretch i was thinking about that too because i was thinking about like how many people unnecessarily die in the movie um yeah of course they do something stupid or whatever it is but this world is just so so harsh and so unforgiving that for a single mistake um that could very well mean two bullets in the head for you well, one thing that's interesting is this movie is premised on Jimmy Hoffa and what happened to him. And everyone has such a fascination on this particular man because mm-hmm. he was famous. Um, I, what I got out of those um, the the characters who, with the text on the screen saying how they died, whatever, um, the trivial characters, why I think Martin Scorsese is trying to make a point. Why was society and culture so obsessed with Jimmy Hoffa, yet there are these inconsequential people who die every day. And what does that mean? And what does that say about Martin Scorsese's choices in life? Why do we focus on one thing and not another? And how how is that fleeting? And I think that plays into the Anna Paquin character, Peggy. Why Mm. are we, you know, um, Robert De Niro's character has more than one daughter, yet she's the one that we focus on the entire movie. Why her and not the other daughters? And I think that plays into the casting and the overall controversy about that character. Um, it, it's there's it, this is a very deep um, script and a very deep character in Robert De Niro. The one of the deepest he's had since his prime. I, I feel. Uh, oh, I I agree. He's got a scene, uh, and I've said this before on other podcasts after I'd seen the movie. He's got a scene towards the end of the film where he's on a phone with another character and the camera is on him the entire time, the way that he is trying to emotionally navigate through that screenplay's dialogue and convey what he's trying to convey, but at the same time he can't, um, reminded me so much of something like Manchester by the Sea with Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams where they're having that confrontational dialogue scene and there's just so much complexity and so much emotion so much stuff that's needs to be said but it's unsaid and it's messy and de niro is just struggling through that scene uh not 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 in a negative way but like the character is struggling yeah and i just thought it was some of the most affecting work that he has done in decades I, i i was blown away by him and i haven't felt that way about him in so long there is a scene with um, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro where um, they take a drive mm-hmm. and Robert De Niro gets out of the car to do something. And um, then he gets back in the car after he's done. Um, th- those were the scenes that really hit me the hardest for um, in De Niro's performance. Um, and it, in Pesci's performance, too, like I, the interaction that they have when Joe Pesci tells Robert De Niro what the, what the main goal of this whole... Uh, he's making the salad. Is. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever <laughs> Joe Pesci tells him that, there, I've never seen an interaction like that where things are so coded and so understood and so subtle and like it's it, it was just like an out of body experience watching this. Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying before, Ryan, about uh, you know just how cold some of these uh, executions, if you will, um, can be. And when we get to V one, yeah, the big one. Yeah. The culmination, the uh, the climax of the film, it's treated with the same level of coldness, and there is such a contrasting uh, emotional reaction to that that we as an audience feel that Frank feels that, and the, and then that's where it also too, Thelma Schoolmaker's editing of the movie really slows down, and every single element of this is why I think the final hour and a half is just so perfect. Um, everything from the dinner tribute scene on, basically. Yeah. But when you get to that drive and that morning and him talking to Joe and getting on the plane and so on and so forth, that is just stretched and stretched and stretched mm -hmm. out yeah. to the point where – and with like no music cues or anything like that, I was so incredibly tense because we don't know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. So theoretically – Anything could have happened in that third act. <laughs> well, it's it's and, interesting and, be, because these characters, they die so quickly throughout the film, yet Robert De Niro's life is so stretched out, painfully stretched out, and he lives so long. And, and that's part of what um, the movie is saying. There's a contrast there that I think um, audiences really need to reflect on. Do you think that uh, him actually living long, while we may look at that as a good thing, like, oh, you know, he survived while so many other characters don't, w could we make the argument that him actually living this long to get to this point where his body is breaking down, he is completely alone, has no one basically to mourn him when he goes, like, that is the real punishment. And the fact that the movie doesn't end with him on a hospital bed taking one last breath, it still like leaves the door open, if you will. Yes. <laughs> that that is even like a, a, that's a fate worse than death. Yeah. And uh, but it, there's there's a certain amount of apathy that De Niro's character has about some of the choices I make that that he makes. I feel um, mm -hmm. where I, at least throughout the film. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a sense of apathy up until the end, until there's there's a ba uh, there's a scene in a in, in a bank where I feel like that apathy is kind of broken a little bit. I don't know. There's a lot to unpack with this character. Yeah. Well, the yeah. amazing thing about the character, in terms of what you're saying there, Ryan, is that Robert De Niro's character is the main character of this story, but in no point in his life until the very end is he the main character in his own story. Bingo. He's always a that supporting character in his life. He's always the one that somebody else talks to to solve their problems. So in the end, when he's the only one left and he has to reckon with his own life, he doesn't even know how to do it. I think it also comes back to uh, another theme of the film that's uh, a meta commentary, if you will, and that is legacy and purpose. Yeah. yeah. What was Frank's purpose for living all this time? And then when he gets to the end, what is the legacy that he has left behind? And I do believe that Scorsese, Bob, Al, Joe, I think that they're all kind of, just with their very involvement with this film, 
all having to come to deal with that in their own personal way with this material. Yes. I mean, th- th- it really does have the feeling of an end of an era. And uh, with uh, The Irishman, it- it's as if we're not going to see any more mob movies by Scorsese. Yeah. It feels like we're never going to see any mob movies ever, honestly. <laughs> well, it-, it does have that finality about it. Yeah. It has a yeah. finality for all of them, I feel like. I'm like, where do you go from here? Career-wise, you know? yeah, Career I agree. Wise, like, I can't imagine what what or if Scorsese would do after this. The only thing, in my opinion, that's left is him, De Niro, and DiCaprio now in yeah. some sort of a project. Like, that, that, that to me is, like, the last thing I feel like. Of that passing of the torch type thing. But yeah. for someone that it, it's their first time uh, working with uh, Scorsese here, uh, what do we all think of Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa in The Irishman? Fantastic. got it. <laughs> the amazing thing about this performance is that, yes, it is Pacino yelling over the top, always in charge, always angry, like we know he's been good at doing for the past 30 years, and not always even good, I should say. But in this movie, you can tell, you can see the difference between something like, uh, what's that fucking Adam Sandler movie, Jack and Jill or whatever, and (laughs) (laughs) like that, and then something directed by Martin Scorsese. You can see him really weaponizing and specifying the outbursts to make them specific to each moment and to who each character he's talking to. And it's always appropriate. It's never just fireworks for the sake of fireworks. I, I'm, I'm one of those people who has seen Al Pacino on stage close and I have been hit by Pacino spit because <laughs> he just he overdoes it. And, and, and we can, we can certainly count Senate of a woman and justice for all. And Oh God, all that, all the overdoing. This is a, big role that he does bigly uh and it's extraordinary you know why i think it works too why because the character is larger than life yeah that works and it invites a style of performance that feels larger than life and al when he is directed properly and with good written material he can certainly convey that. The moments for me in this with him that really struck me were actually the quieter and tender yeah. moments that he has with Bob or he has with um, his family. And it's in those like tiny moments where this guy who, yeah, he's in charge, he's commanding crowds, he's extremely charismatic. In certain scenes where he opens himself up a little bit, he appears a little vulnerable um, and he just gets a little bit quieter. Yeah, uh, that's what made the performance really stand out to me tremendously. So I particularly yeah, like the scenes with the young Peggy with the uh, yeah. ice cream. Yeah, and the ice cream. <laughs> Loves ice cream. Yeah, those sweet moments. I think they balance it out and they make those big more moments more impactful and they make that performance work overall because it's yeah, it's not just big loud angry moments there's all these little quieter simpler sweeter moments in there as well that i think are it also helps that a lot of sorry it also helps that a lot of characters spend their time going oh my god he needs to chill out what are we gonna do about him so that you know it's appropriate (laughs) for the character for him to be acting like that it's not just pacinoing absolutely and when you contrast that with um i i apologize if we didn't mention him before when we kind of like lumped the other actors but i do want to give a shout out to harvey keitel in this who has a smaller role than i actually thought he was going to have if i'm being completely honest but 
you know, he's part of that group too with De Niro and Scorsese and, and Pesci. So I'm very, very happy that he too was a part of this. Uh, but him and Pesci and what they do in their performances um, are, are – Pesci, I'll admit, I will admit, I was a tad bit disappointed at first. But that's because I went in expecting, hoping, whatever you want to call it, the typical Joe Pesci you know, that we saw in Casino, Goodfellas – Raging Bull, so on and so forth. I got something out of this one with him that I feel like I haven't seen before. And it's the performance that as time has gone on has actually worked more for me um, because it's a performance that I feel like really stays with me going back to what we were talking about in terms of how ruthless and chilling and cold this world is. It is epitomized in Pesci's performance in this. Yeah, I never think of uh, Joe Pesci in subtlety but he is, he just is so controlled in this. And, you know, it, you can tell underneath that there's a rage and he's very calculating. And it, you it really get the impression that uh, this character is a very smart character and that's why he still survives. Mm. And you know what, too? Like, for, listen, he's a tiny dude, right? Not really big in stature. Doesn't look like he could beat the crap out of you or anything like that. But he just has a piercing, intimidating look about him that going back to how he was in movies like Casino and Goodfellas, when he like tells another character, you know, whatever, I mean, you know, I'm going to pop your eyes out of your socket or, you know, I'm going to cut your throat. I don't know, whatever. He doesn't even need to say that, but just with a look, you can feel it from him. Like he is genuinely scary in this, I, I felt like at times. Yeah. So going off of that now, uh, since we're talking about members of the cast, uh, the side characters in this, uh, we already talked about Anna Paquin. I know that that's getting a lot of traction right now in terms of her <sighs> reduced role. And once again, I will admit, yeah, when I watched the movie, I was disappointed uh, that her role wasn't a little bit meatier on the same side as someone like a Lorraine Bracco or Sharon Stone or Margot Robbie that Scorsese has given you know, good roles to before. But, you know, this is a movie, once again, that is kind of about these old guys who, like, it's their movie and it's their legacy. And Anna is serving the story and supporting what's going on. But I do believe wholeheartedly that when we do get to that third act, her role in the story, I I, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Because to me, uh, it had a lot of impact on me. Um, You know, I I felt it. I think why it didn't bother me in a way that something like um, off the top of my head, like Claire Foy in First Man, maybe. Um, uh oh. <laughs> that's, that's for you, Ryan. Um, Thanks. <laughs> um, beca- because she is so aggressively silent the whole time, it is absolutely of a point. And I think the key to what really made me like the movie thematically and why I actually like a lot of gangster mob movies is because a lot of them, whether intentionally or not, are about how men and the societal pressures of masculinity make them absolutely unable to communicate with each other. Yeah. Besides talking about things like business. And in this movie, that's hammered home by something as simple as saying, is it, it is what it is, essentially means kill this person that Mm -hmm. they have no idea of how to communicate. And if, for example, we spent time with like what the wives are talking about on their cigarette breaks, because we're pointedly very far away from them, even like with the camera, it would kind of 
eliminate the thematic importance of how this movie is about people who do business thinking it's what they're supposed to do to get by in America. And then they miss the things that are actually important, which is like creating a, a circle of trust around you and being nice to your loved ones. And the character of Peggy is the literal cherry on top of the Al Pacino Sunday in this movie. And it's always like frustrating to a certain degree, but I always find it somewhat fascinating too that all of these guys, a common theme, if you will, in crime films is they're always saying they're doing it for their family. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm the doing irony. it to protect you. I'm doing it to put food on the table. I'm doing it for this. I'm doing it for that. I'm doing it for you. And yet you can't be that present father or you can't be that present husband. Um, to, to Cody's point, I, I always find that uh, contrast there to be always so fascinating. Well, see, the difference between... Uh, I think the way Anna Paquin is used in this movie is pretty brilliant. And um, I think there's an in, there's an intent behind what they're doing and why she has so few speaking lines and screen time. Can we, can we, also, can we also say for the record that for more than half of the movie, her character is played by another actress as well? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is another part that I don't think a lot of people are taking into, uh, are taking into account here. Well, regardless, the character of Peggy young and old doesn't have uh, doesn't have the same uh, screen time or um, character development as somebody like Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas. But I mm-hmm. think there's it's written into the script with this intention that other films who just gloss over the female character as a sidekick or a, a housewife, they don't have that depth or point of view that makes for good criticism. Um, I think this movie has it, and it works effectively, um, especially with the way that the film um, comes to its climax. Yeah, I think that the choice of where she speaks, I think also the fact of having her played by an actress whose face we recognize so clearly, compared to like his other daughters where like you wouldn't even think, whereas the second Anna Paquin's on screen, you're like, oh, yeah, and she has these eyes about her where like, she has a presence in it that even when she doesn't speak, there's still something there. Or the fact that she does talk, but we don't, it's from a distance and we don't hear her during the dinner scene. She's when she's dancing with Pacino and things like there's a distance to it there that I think there's a purpose to there. The, the, um, I, it's an odd comparison, I think, but it, it reminded me a little bit of the way that Margot Robbie is used in once upon a time in Hollywood. I think the Anna Paquin, adult Peggy is kind of a spirit. She's always there. And whenever you see Pacino, you do at times think about that, that good relationship that Peggy has with Jimmy. Yeah. That she does not have with her father or Joe Pesci in that hilarious scene at the bowling alley. Oh God! Where he gives her the Christmas present. And he's like, what do you say? What, What do you say to him? Thank you, and it's all right. It's all right. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Versus her book report on Jimmy Hoffa. (laughs) But it's always there, and it it, it is that sort of hollow echo that the problem that she has uh, with relating the same way to to her father that she has with these other men. Yeah. I I also want to highlight, uh, even though, like I said, the roles are a little bit smaller, I want to highlight uh, Ray Romano's utilization in this. Um, And, you know, Bobby Cannavale is is someone who actually I was really enjoying in the first hour of the film, and I was kind of disappointed that he disappeared 
And then he like randomly shows up at that uh, that dinner party scene. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh, I guess he's back in the story. But where's he been? And like, I kind of want more of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I loved Ray Romano. I liked what his his career in recent years has been very interesting with like the big sick. And then this like, I think that he fits what he's doing in it perfectly. Yeah. And then Stephen Graham, who, uh, you know, this is, he's no stranger uh, to this genre. You know, he's done great work on uh, Boardwalk Empire before and, and um, has worked with Marty in the past. You know, on, on uh, what was it? I think Gangs of New York, if I remember correctly, he was in that. Um, and he was also in like things like Public Enemies and such. You know, he has uh, that one really good scene with Al Pacino. Uh, two, actually, two really good scenes. Yeah. One in the prison and then the uh, the meeting. I love that scene. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. He's, he's great. Oh. He just, you just want to slap the cigar out of his mouth. Seriously. <laughs> oh, he, he was fantastic in this. I, I really, really enjoyed uh, his, his presence on screen as well. And then there's just like a bunch of like um, side characters uh, beyond the big names who maybe only have like one scene here, one scene there. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't really remember uh, the names of the characters or the actors who played them, but I'm going to just like whittle off a few quick things. Um, that watermelon scene is so funny. Oh my God. Yeah. That actor who does that, um, kudos to you. That made me laugh my ass off. <laughs> Takes like a big giant bite of the watermelon. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, that was really good. Um, the guy who I think his name was, um, I'm gonna get this right. The uh, oh no, I don't, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, but the one guy who sits across from uh, De Niro in the diner asks him to do a job for him. He was like an older guy. Oh, whispers! Something, something whispers? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, not the other whispers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But there's a lot of moments of that in this. You know, Jesse Plemons too. Yeah, uh, has that so. great scene about the fish. Fish. Oh. Yeah. What kind of a fish was it? I don't know. It was a it was a big fucking fish. <laughs> you know? <laughs> why do you, Why do you want to know so much about the fish? Well, I want to know in case somebody asks me about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I love stuff like that. And, you know, this movie is surprisingly funny at times. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I feel like is another thing that Scorsese did extremely well in movies like Casino and Goodfellas and obviously took it to another level in Wolf of Wall Street. But here um, I was really, really happy to see that it wasn't just three and a half hours of depressing melancholy. Like there actually were some light moments of dark humor in there, you know? And that goes to undersell how to these men, it's just a job. They don't have any feelings behind it unless it personally impacts them. Yeah. What about that? Uh, you know what, Cody? Actually, it's a good segue into um, the scene where De Niro does the uh, the hit on uh, the maid guy. Yes. can't remember his name. Um, I should have taken better notes during this movie, but I was so engrossed, I barely took any notes. Uh, but, you know, I really, really like how the movie goes into uh, great detail and depth about how he's going to do this where he's going to get dropped off, what the guy who drops him off is going to be doing, um, the whole sequence of events that lead up to it. And then when it happens, it's literally get it, get out, and it just happens like in a flash. It's so, so quick. And yet the movie does a great job of explaining to us, the audience that are not so familiar maybe with this world, everything that goes into it. Yeah. Just ever so fascinating. I, I'm 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 always engrossed by these stories all the time. And if this is indeed their last one or Marty's last one, uh, what what a one to go out on! I say, um, 
I'm very, very, very happy with the way it, it turned out here. Something new for him that he's never done before, uh, that's never really been done before, actually, is the way they use the de-aging technology in this movie. Um, so the movie takes place over the course of several decades, and the characters have to be de-aged uh, for the earlier scenes, and then they gradually apply uh, makeup uh, to them, and then in the third act, they're like heavily, um, you know, makeupized, if you will. Especially Joe Pesci. Oh my God, that scene! Yeah. That scene, guys, where he's got all the makeup on him in the in the, with with Bob. But it's very believable. Oh man, it was unreal to me uh, how uh, how good that looked the only thing about the de-aging that bothered me they applied this blue to De Niro's eyes to sell that he's Irish and the character I guess has blue eyes I mean I, I can't think of any other reason for it but did you guys get the impression that those eyes were unnaturally very blue at times okay yes so I thought whenever the trailers came out this summer or this spring, I forget when. I, that's the that's the only thing I took away from the, tra- the the trailer is like, oh my god, I can't stand this. I I'm not going to be able to do this for three three hours, whatever this is. But however, I thought th- there wasn't one moment watching the visual effects um, whenever I saw the actual film last week where I was unconvinced or thought it looked phony or bad. I thought the visual effects were excellent and the blue eyes were. Totally Ryan approved. Okay. Yeah, I I was bugged by it in the very first scene with Pesci and De Niro where there's the de-aging, which is when he's helping him fix his car. And yeah. I don't know if it just jumped out to me there because it was new or if that was like a particularly It's also brightly lit, the you know, outdoors. Exactly. Very daylight. Lit, yeah. And yeah. it's a specific aging. De-aging is not like they're bringing them all the way back to youth. They're bringing them back to middle age as opposed to their 70s, which is where I think they are yeah. now. Yeah. Um, right. Otherwise, in the movie, I truly had trouble distinguishing what was CGI and what was makeup because I didn't go into it knowing exactly which eras would be which. So that's successful in both departments, I think. I'm pretty confident then the first hour, it's the de-aging. The second hour, well, actually, no, everything like with the car, uh, with Pesci and uh, De Niro. And then, yeah, when you start to get towards uh, the end of the film, that's them like, I think regular as they are now and then De Niro and Pesci obviously have like, you know, tons of makeup on Uh them uh, at the very end, like the last half hour. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't mind the de-aging. The only thing that bothered me in the early scenes was that I thought the faces looked okay. Um, But you can't hide the fact that it's a 75 year old's body. There's that scene where he does beat up that guy in front of the grocery store for uh, Peggy where yeah. he kicks him at one point or something. And I just remember yeah. looking at it and thinking to myself, that's not a spry young man doing that right now. You know? No. no. It didn't have the same, like, impact. And then somebody else pointed out to me, like, every time De Niro would throw a gun into the river, what? instead of, like, doing a, an over, uh, like, like a pitcher, like, over the head, like, throw, he just kept on doing, like, this this force chuck. Yes. You know? <laughs> Which was so weird to them. Um, and then, yeah, I, like I thought about it. I'm like, oh, I guess that is weird. <laughs> but I, I, I'll admit it didn't detract from the experience. Yeah, I noticed it. Yeah, it's there. And you are going to notice it too. But it, it, it didn't take away from the movie for me. I, I thought those moments were um, very few. Yeah, and I think you get used to it. I think, yeah, like I think similar to Cody, the first time they showed him like 
driving his truck on the road, I was like, oh dear God, this looks like the Polar Express. But, <laughs> but it like you've kind yeah, you forget about it. And I think also like it comes to a point where I'm just like, oh, are they even using it here? Like it, you yeah. kind of, because of the length of it, you kind of, and the amount of time that goes on, you kind of, you know, get used to it. But yeah, it's the first time you see it. It's a little jarring. I had a hard time figuring out if it was being used on Pacino or not. Right. Actually. Well, fortunately, he we meet him later in life. Yeah, no, absolutely. Totally. No, I totally get that. Which is why, like, in the earlier scenes, like, when he is first introduced, I was like, does do they just have, like, makeup on Al and he looks good? Or is there something else going on there, too, in terms of touch-ups? You know, it was a little tough to figure out at times, you know? Uh, I, but if there was work being done on him, I would say that was probably the most natural. Um, then I would say Pesci probably does look the best. And I say this because when you're seeing Pesci, like, today that guy's got wrinkles on his neck he's got wrinkles on his face everywhere you know and they make all of that go away uh so much so that it really looked like pesci from the 90s all over again and then like with de niro i i just recently rewatched goodfellas they're striving for that look i don't think they ever fully really get there i would say he looks more like early 2000s uh, De Niro than like early 90s De Niro if that makes sense you know what I mean it does make sense yeah, yeah. Uh, you just can't <sighs> listen for anyone out there that's working on the James Dean project you just can't do it you just can't bring someone <laughs> back like that all right it's never gonna look exactly the same <laughs> but they do an admirable job uh, for what uh, within the limitations of the technology so far yeah yeah I think the difference yeah. is so f- is uh, what we've seen over time is that it's better to kind of mold something onto an existing face in like this or Captain Marvel rather than try to create something out of nothing like in Rogue One. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is why I'm glad that they went the route that they went with this. It did add to the price tag. Um, it apparently made the shooting extremely difficult because uh, cinematographer Rodrigo Prieto had to have at all times uh, – three lenses on each camera in order to capture the amount of information for the visual effects artists because De Niro, Pacino, Pesci weren't wearing the typical um, suits and dots and things like that that they usually use for this kind of technology. So they pretty much like invented a whole new way of doing it. And that's what like has made also like the behind the scenes making of the movie uh, really interesting. Speaking to that, um, I I kind of already alluded to it before. I think Delma Schoonmaker's editing on this movie is absolutely miraculous in the sense that it's the like it's 209 minutes long, but it's the fastest over 200 minute movie I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, And it is just so well constructed in how that story unfolds and you know like we said segmented by each hour if you will like almost like chapter breakdown like uh for the rest of you what other uh technical aspects in the movie if anything uh stood out to you guys well i just want to say that what makes the editing also so good in addition to the just the extraordinary pacing is that there are moments of flashy impressive editing and quick cutting but there's also slow contemplative moments so it's a really strong balance and she I mean, this is goes without saying, but she clearly knows what she's doing. How about that scene where uh, Hoffa's wife gets in the car? That's exactly oh, what I'm thinking of. That was, oh that was my the God. moment of most like, obvious impressive editing that really got to me. Yeah. There, there's little things like that in the movie that she does 
uh, that are just mwah, chef's kiss. I love it. <laughs> so uh, I really took away from this movie the production design. I thought it was exquisite, and it kind of leaped off the screen in each of um, in each of the different time periods in the same way that something like uh, American Hustles uh, production kind of just like bounced, you know, off yeah. off your eyes um, back then. Uh, I, I really hope it gets nominated and I think it, I think it's going to, and of like the technical categories, I wasn't really looking to production for, to production design in my earlier predictions for the Irishman, but man, that's the one thing I definitely took away. Yeah. I, and I think Prieto's uh, cinematography is gorgeous without being overly showy. It's, there's no yeah. moment in this. It's yeah. solid and, and, and smart and gorgeous in its own way. I hate that like nowadays, if you don't have like the uh, screenshot still frame quality of your cinematography, uh, it gets written off now by so many people. Um, Cinematography is much more than just single images. And, you know, I talk about that scene where De Niro does that one hit and the camera like follows him into the restaurant and so on and so forth. Um, There's the opening and ending uh, tracking shots. Um, that are really well done. There, there's a lot of scenes, like the, the scene where they're pushing the taxis into the uh, yeah. <laughs> a, a river. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot done in terms of camera movement in this movie uh, that, yeah, okay, fine. You're not going to be able to screenshot, put it as desktop wallpaper, tag one perfect shot, and be like, oh, yeah, look at this shot from the Irishman. <laughs> but it's still really solid work. Yeah. There, there are moments though that are extremely beautiful, especially like the street scenes at night with like the the neon lights. Mm-hmm. Um, I found uh, I myself taking it back a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, not on the level of like the Revenant or Mad Max or something, but it's still it's still very pretty and still worthy of a nomination if it if it makes it there. Yeah, I like the costumes a lot as well because I think they have to cover so much time. And I think also you don't go into a movie like this expecting great and interest or interesting costumes. And I think that they find ways in beyond just being like simple suits. Like I think there's a lot of intricacies and it reminded me a lot of like, I'm such a big fan of Mad Men. So like that, like following time in that way through clothes is interesting. Oh yeah. I'm totally with you on that. Absolutely. Um, I think that, having the story span several decades definitely aids to that. Like you said, gives them a lot of variety. Um, and you're right that sometimes, you know, in movies like this, we see suits and we think like, Hey, you know, just suits, whatever. Uh, but I, I know I'm with you that there are moments where, um, that like the costume design, and the production design for me in particular, uh, and the cinematography too. And Tom just said it, none of it is showy. And I think that the reason why that works for me here is just in regards to the immersion, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. then if it's not showy, it never is distracting me. And as a result, I'm able to focus more on the story, on the performances, on the things that really matter. Well, and part of the movie's effect is like the um, one thing I've, I've, I've said to people as they've before they've watched it, I've said, well, you know, just relax and let the movie wash over you. And I feel like these, um, how you just described the um, the production values as not being in your face, uh, I think that lends to the to what I say about just let the movie wash over you, and it, it has that that effect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so at this point, I would like to do uh, final thoughts 
on The Irishman. So I know there's a lot to talk about this movie. I know that maybe we didn't just touch upon necessarily everything, and maybe you guys had some things you individually wanted to discuss. We're going to do that right here, right now. Uh, Casey, I'm going to pass it over to you first. Do you have anything to mention that we did not already bring up? If not, uh, what are your uh, final thoughts on The Irishman then? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I think like we said, there's so much to unpack with this film. And I know that for me, I've only seen it the one time. I plan on seeing it again multiple times. But I think that from my own just individual viewing, I think, yeah, I think those three main performances, I think, are hard to ignore in their quality, both in like from what's in the actual film and I think from a historical perspective of their reflecting on their overall careers and things, I think that that has a weight to it. I think that I'm just more, more than a, a lot of movies this year. I'm so fascinated by the themes of this one. And that can also be because it's so long that you really get to ruminate on them and whatnot. And I think that, I think it's one that I'm still continually thinking about. And especially for somebody who I'm, you know, in my early twenties, it's not things that I typically, I guess, think about, but it's interesting things to reflect on. And I think that, I think there's just so much to unpack with this. And I think that I don't think that just this year is when we're going to be discussing it. I think that it's going to stand a lot of time. And I think that there's a lot to be talked about with this film from a very human level that I really appreciate. And I like that it's more than just a simple gangster film. I think that it's more about what this type of life means and what are the consequences of that, that I think that a lot of other films don't go into. And I really appreciate that. So, yeah. Did you want a final grade too, or are we saving that? No, we'll hold up. We'll hold off on that. Um, I do want to say for anyone out there and you know what? Hey, the guy got some criticism early on in his career. Uh, even got some criticism with Wolf of Wall Street that, you know, Scorsese likes to glorify the lifestyle, likes to glorify the violence and so on and so forth. I think the Irishman is a big F you to anyone <laughs> that's ever said that about Scorsese because it's like the exact opposite, I feel like, with this one. Total exact opposite. All right. Uh, let's hear from uh, let's hear from Ryan. Ryan, what do you got? Um well, I have I I've said a lot of what I wanted to say. I think this is a masterclass movie. Um, I can't wait to revisit it and just absorb new things about it. I think that there's so much to go through here. Um, I, I'm really interested in learning more about the characters and specifically that middle portion. Um, I, it reminded me so much of Pacino's storyline in The Godfather Part Two. I, I the politics of it, the pacing. I I don't, I'm not sure what, but there's so much I want to unpack from it. And so many, I would love to go through this and write down every, um, uh, like trademark Scorsese, um, classic scene from another movie and just fill a notebook of it. Um, I, I love the performances. I love the editing. I love the writing. I love the directing. Um, the movie left me cold and, um, I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, it's interesting how a movie that can sometimes leave you cold at times. We, you know, we usually talk about that as a criticism, but here I just think it's obviously uh, intentional, and it works its way into uh, the story that it is ultimately trying to tell, which it get you know really gets to when we get to uh, that final section. So, cool. and one last thing, I would really love for Al Pacino to win. 
So I'm just I'm, I'm I just need to throw that out there. Hoo ha! Nice, <laughs> Cody. Um, yeah, I I've also said everything I probably want to say without this being a full analysis podcast. If that were the case, I could go on and on, but I won't. I almost feel like we have to do an audio commentary uh, while when it like, I, when it like comes to Netflix, you know? It's just like. <laughs> I mean, everything means something, which is like, wow, like amazing criticism, Cody. But like, it really does. <laughs> you, you can't watch this movie and just go, cool, good movie. Like, you have to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, I just want to stress that um, listeners, please do your best to see this in a theater. I think it really benefits from having to be forced to sit there and watch it and not even have the possibility of having like your phone out. Like, I, I even do that when I'm at home sometimes. And I also would like to stress try to watch this in one sitting. I know it's going to be maybe easy when you're at home on Netflix to just say like, well, I'll watch it in like, you know, three one hour chunks. I think you need to get the full impact of the third act to watch it all in one sitting. So that's, that's my word of warning to the audience. My message. I don't know. (laughs) Put that phone away. All right. The laundry can wait. Tell your friends to shut up. All right. (laughs) You can do it. People, (laughs) you can do it. Uh, Tom, what about you? I was going to echo uh, Cody's point. Uh, it really, I know that it's difficult to see it. It's not playing in a lot of areas uh, because independent theaters are the only ones that are playing it. If it's within an hour of you, though, the uh, the experience of immersing yourself in this remarkable film for three and a half hours uh, really can beat the temptation of pizza watching it at home. Uh, so, uh, if you can, please, please, please do see it, um, because you, you'll come away from it. I maybe the way I did when I was feeling like this is the end of an era. I'm sure that Scorsese has a lot more films left in him, but as far as this side of his filmmaking, um, if this is the last gangster film he ever makes, it goes out on a high note and an elegiac note. And a triumphant note. So please see the the Irishman. And the last thing I have is I just want to mention the final shot of the film, which for me was extraordinarily powerful. And I will admit on the first viewing, I did not catch that it was a tie-in into an earlier scene in the movie. Yep. Uh, that involves De Niro and Al Pacino. And I didn't I, I caught it on the second viewing. And that's that's the kind of, I think, uh, power, uh, thematic power that this movie uh, can have on a repeat viewing for people. There's so much to discuss in what that final shot means and the multiple interpretations of it. I want to get into it. I think I might save it for a written article someday instead. Um, all I'll leave you with is that it, it is extremely powerful. And as I continue to get older myself, and start thinking about legacy of my life. What did my life ultimately, you know, amount to? Who are still here with me at this point? I think the Irishman is something I will continue to revisit as time goes on, and I think it'll, I think it'll continue to just get even stronger. Actually, uh, for all of us, probably that I think will be its endearing legacy, and it is why it probably is. Truly, not saying this just to get the Twitter reactions. It probably really is Scorsese's real new masterpiece. Uh, with that said, Casey, what is the grade out of 10? 
I'm giving it a nine, which I know sounds like bullshit because of everything that I've said. <laughs> Only because, and maybe the, I, this will not bother me as much on repeat viewing. There's like a handful of coloring things. There's like a scene with them on a rooftop in the sky. Is this type of unnatural blue that took me out of it. There's a slow motion thing at a wedding. They're the only two things where I was just like, oh, I wouldn't do that. And I know that that's silly things to nitpick. And I think also that sometimes three and a half hours can be a long time to sit in a chair. So that's my only reason I have it at a nine. It might become a 10. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. You know, the slow motion thing, I, I noticed he did that a couple of times in Wolf of Wall Street as well. And yeah, I don't know if I'm as big of a fan of it, actually, as I am with him just capturing more um, symbolic shots, if you will. Like there's a lot of symbolic shots in The Departed, for example, and a lot in terms of like spatial relations with uh, characters and how they're framed, um, you know, against each other to the camera and so on and so forth. I'm more of a fan of when Scorsese does stuff like that than just using slow motion for reasons that, yeah, in that one scene in particular, the wedding scene, I, I'm just like, why, why why is this happening? Like, I don't I know, understand. It was going so long and I was just like... Yeah, I was like, we've if, been here for how long now? I need. To I, I get it. I get it. If I can defend slash maybe flesh out that moment, what I got. Oh sure, yeah, please. Other, I'm all I'm all ears. The other big moment of, um, slow motion that we see off the top of my head, I can only remember two. Um, but the only other one is uh, an assassination, which is not a big spoiler, uh, or assassination attempt rather. And I think that kind of just hammers home how um how central the violence is to these people's lives in the movie that it would be as memorable, if not more memorable, important, um, memorably important a moment as a wedding. And maybe you're even looking at it in the same way, um, which just kind of underscores the futility of it all that you're looking at it in the same lights and manner of uh, vision as you would a wedding. I like that, Cody. I'm going to be on the lookout for that when I uh, rewatch it. I, I, I already know exactly what you mean and I, I, I like it. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. There's also yeah. slow motion at a car wash. I'm pretty sure that's good slow motion. All right. That's a little bit harder to tie in now. Um. I don't know. But yeah, that was the one where you were like, there's the one. And I was like, oh, that one. And then I was like, nope, it's not. <laughs> I think that one maybe, I mean, who knows? This is nitpicking at this point. But I think that one is slightly less um, uh, intense in the <laughs> slow motion, if, I, if, if that makes sense. But maybe yeah. that's just me. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ryan, grade. Gosh, you know, I've thought about this all day, whether to give it a nine or a ten. I feel like I, I feel like when I come on the podcast, I give things tens more often that's ref, than what's reflective of how I actually grade. Um, I'm I'm gonna stay with a nine for right now um, because I do think some of the politics of the movie um, gets muddled um, in the when it, at the beginning of Al Pacino's. Um, segment and i would love to parse that out a little bit more and maybe that was just you mean like his conflict with the kennedys yes yes i i should have i i don't i didn't know anything about jimmy hoffa before this movie so whenever it ha whenever that happened i was like ooh, caught off guard because i'm a super wonky kind of a person and i wanted to know more and really understand it instead of just getting swept along and thelma's editing um but yeah that was my one that was one point in the movie where i, I found myself kind of frustrated with myself for not really getting what was going on and ryan you just said something very interesting that i just want to point out really quick 
you said that you weren't familiar with Jimmy Hoffa as much before seeing the movie. Yeah. I love that there is a moment in this movie where Frank is like, do you know who that is? And the person has no idea it's Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> and he even says it's Jimmy Hoffa. And they're like, oh, yeah, that didn't like something, you know. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about before and just in terms of uh, life's purpose and the lasting legacy that one does leave behind and what you're remembered for um, after you die and so on and so forth. And will, as time moves on, will the history books remember you? Will it just be the people that you spent your life with that maybe for a generation or two will remember you? Very, very interesting uh, topic there. Yeah. So – I wish I could give it a 9.5. I can't, so I'll give it a 9. Um, that's my two cents. All right. Cody? So I am also giving it a 9, even though I don't really have any issues with that movie and with the movie. And the reason is I look at Scorsese's filmography and movies like Goodfellas, and um, I think that's the only other 10 out of 10 I have for him. Uh, but I, I don't know yet if, if I can put it quite up there with that pantheon of films uh, that get a 10 out of 10. So I need to sit on this a little longer. I have pretty full confidence that it will eventually become a 10 out of 10. But for now, I have to give it a 9. But it's an extremely, extremely high 9 with very little reservations. Cody, I really agree with that, actually. I really do need to sit with, sit with it more, see it again really digest some things. I think you said it perfectly. And I I do think it is in that top tier. I would put it at number five after some of the big ones. So. It's definitely the best. We were saying this before that it was, you know, the best performances by some actors in our lifetime. This is my favorite Scorsese movie in my lifetime for sure because I was born the year after Goodfellas. So, See, I'm partial to The Departed, so it's just right after that oh, for me. Oh, The Departed. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, that's a 10 out of 10 too. I don't know. I need to think about it, but... This is, besides The Departed, it's the best in my lifetime for sure. <laughs> oh, Scorsese ranking. That that could be in an episode all of its own, probably, I'm sure. <laughs> Deal me in. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Maybe we'll do a special Patreon where it's just us talking for like 30 minutes about uh, Scorsese's entire filmography and where it ranks for all of us. 30 minutes. Sure, yeah. That's that's, that's optimistic. (laughs) I was going to say, and even now that I just said it, now I feel like I'm going to get demands from people to actually do it now. I'll I'll stop talking. Uh, Tom, what's the grade? I... Uh, I, I really agree with Cody on that. On that, I, I joined the group in, in giving it a nine uh, reluctantly because the only element about it that I wasn't really crazy about, there's a kind of, I don't know, Forrest Gumpy element to it that, that Frank is there at so many big historical moments and involved with so many big historical moments that it, it just... Uh, it took me out of the movie for a second. It's sort of like, really? Really? I mean, I, I just wish it was a little bit smaller in that way, that it didn't touch upon the um, the history of the United States. But that seems to be kind of, I don't know, maybe nitpicking on this. It's an extraordinary film. Uh, I really urge everybody to try and see it in the theater. I'm going to give it a nine. Um, and I joined the group in saying I wish there was a 9.5, but... Nine it is. I, too, debated between a nine and a ten, uh, first viewing. Second viewing uh, pushed me a little bit further into ten out of ten territory. I, 
You know, it's interesting because if the guy did not have a filmography this freaking good, it would be an easy 10 out of 10 movie. Yeah. But it's not just, it's not just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm comparing it to some of the greatest movies ever made. Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, like, I think those two are my 10 out of 10s for Scorsese. And I do believe that The Irishman, I think I was just hesitant. I I know when I first saw it, I was very hesitant to just be that guy. Because obviously, as you all know, I'm a Scorsese fan and I don't want to be, you know, seen as, well, Matt's a Scorsese boy, you know, so of course he's giving it a 10 out of 10, you know. He gave Silence a 10 out of 10, fuck Silence, you know, like, whatever. (laughs) Um, but this guy knows how to make a movie, you know? I heard you paint houses, Scorsese. I heard you make cinema. Fuck yeah, he does. Absolutely. He does it better than pretty much almost anybody on the freaking planet. He's the best living American director as far as my money is concerned. I gave it a 9 out of 10 when I wrote the review. I will admit it was because of hesitation. Um, I said stuff like, you know, it took some time for the movie to kind of get going. And, you know, it was um, a little familiar in that first hour. Like, I wasn't really wowed. Um, And I, too, was a little, like, like I said, underwhelmed with how some of the supporting members were used. Second viewing really, really did change my mind. So I will go with the 10 out of 10. Wow. Because I'm also thinking about long-term the legacy of this movie and where it is in his filmography, how history will remember Scorsese. I don't know what's going to continue to happen for him post The Irishman, obviously. But, and this is a God forbid scenario, but if this was his last movie, I can't think of a better storybook way to end it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Matt, what other do you have any other tens at ten out of tens this year, or is this the first one? No, uh, the one the one ten out of ten that like literally with no deliberation, no contemplation, it was instant right away was Parasite, hands down. Yeah, <laughs> yep. same. Me too. Me too. So that was like I watched that and I was like cinema. Well, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have a hot take. I think that. Um, the Irishman's going to age better than Parasite. I think Parasite is sure. fun and flashy and exciting right now, but the and the Irishman's slow and cold, but you know, and like 10 years uh the Parasite will be like a, a has been and the Irishman will be richer than ever. Well, Parasite is very of its time and I think it will definitely be looked at in that way in this way as a good thing as a time capsule in the same way we look at for example Taxi Driver but The Irishman is really the story of a lifetime and it's something that ages as you age yeah I imagine it will (laughs) it's only been out for a week but you know you know what I have to say about The Irishman in that regard in the still of a night I held you. Oh, it's a song from the movie. Okay. Held you tight. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I need you guys to like come in with the doo wops, all right, to kind of like help it out there. Um, in the still of the night, utilization in this movie, and the beginning and the end, perfect. Love it. Can't stop listening to it. It's awesome. Alrighty, and now uh, this is this is actually going to be very easy. I think uh, Oscar prospects for the Irishman. Here's why I think it's easy. It is one of the very very few films this year that is an across-the-board contender in every category that you can think of. Picture, director, actor, supporting actor, adapted screenplay, cinematography, film editing, costumes, makeup and hairstyling, production design, sound editing, sound mixing, 
and visual effects. And score if they're feeling generous. I mean, well, I don't know if they'd be feeling that generous, but... <laughs> way in there well, if they want to. And I would just um, caution everybody who's listening, predict both Pesci and Pacino. I, I just, I'm, I feel very confident that you're not going to get one without the other. Like, they're both, I, I think they're both. agree. Yeah, I agree, too. I think you can't look at what Pacino's doing and not also be impressed with Pesci for some reason and vice versa. Yeah. I think they are two sides of very different coins that work in their own specific ways that you have to admire equally. Yeah, I, and I think they're the keys, the in the yang to the movie, essentially. So then my question to you is this. If you feel that way about the supporting category, how do we feel about De Niro and lead? I will not have this. He is getting in. I'm not buying this Amy Adams arrival bullshit. No. Like, yeah, if he doesn't get in, in it, it's it's simply because he has one of the best filmographies of all time. And this is just something maybe people aren't responding to. But I mean, you can't watch The Irishman and not value The Irishman. You and, have to and, put him in. Yeah. Like, it's just it's it's. I feel like people are trying to be too clever by thinking, oh, well, he has a subdued performance, so maybe it's too subdued, and he can easily just slip it out. He's not going to slip out. He's not. I think that there is a lot of industry respect for Robert De Niro amongst yeah. his peers. Yeah. And I do think that the narrative that this is his best work in 25 years, uh, for some people, you know, younger actors, uh, best work they've seen, like, you know, we were saying, in their lifetime. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think it'll go a long way with people. A long, long way. I'm hesitant to predict all three of them. Um, for a while, I was doing just Pacino and De Niro, and I was leaving Pesci out because I, I constantly am always thinking of Will Mavity's whole, you know, do they cry? Do they yell? <laughs> you know, type of thing. So in that regard, Pesci would be like uh, a Mark Rylance uh, in Bridge of Spies. I was just where say Mark Rylance, yeah. Yep. So, but those are rare, you the, know. The benefit there is that we've seen Pesci yell and scream and win an Oscar for it. So this is as impressive because we know he's able to do the other thing that usually wins the awards. So watching him pull back and do the complete opposite is just as impressive because it's uh, it's, a, it's a different side to him we haven't seen in a while. Absolutely. Yeah, ever. So here's what I want to know. And if you guys can do this, um, bear with me. Um, I'd like to ask you all individually right now, if you have it in front of you or just taking the list I just said of everything, maybe take some stuff away. Um, what do you guys have it actually predicted for as of today? Whoever whoever has it ready to go can go first. Let me do a quick count. Yeah, I, I, I have everything that you have, Matt, but I only think of one supporting actor. Oh, oh, for the record, that was just prospects. I don't have it predicted for all of those. Ah, okay. Oh, let me yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking. I'm talking like actual hard predictions now. I think all of those are on the table. So to happen, I am predicting. Mm -hmm. I'm predicting picture, director, actor, supporting actor, supporting actor, screenplay, um, production design, costume design, makeup, visual effects, and editing. And I'm predicting it to win picture, director, editing, and visual effects. Like um, kind of like a Shape of Water kind of winner. Ryan, I have all the same nominations. Uh, costume design is obviously the shakiest because they just don't generally like male costumes. Yeah. Um, unless it's a juggernaut like The Revenant, and then it gets in. So, I mean, it, it very well could. Yeah, I think um, I have all those same ones, I feel like. It's I'm trying 11. To... That's 11 nominations? Yeah. I, I, I did it for freaking Hugo. They can do it for The Irishman. Yeah, I, I have nine. I, mean, I think only one supporting actor is going to get in because that category is a bitch. 
Uh, and I don't think it's going to get into costume, <laughs> but I have everything else. I've never heard Tom use that expression before. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I have Netflix, 11 or 12. If Netflix can get like, 10 nominations for Roma, including two acting nominations, this movie is going to be so easy to get a double digits. Like, yeah, I just think out the money. Like, they're. It's, yeah, I'm not, that's why I'm like, I feel like De Niro almost seems obvious, which I know is like Curse of Death then, but like, if you love this movie, why wouldn't you put him in? You know what I mean? I feel like it goes hand in hand. Like, remember, this is a movie about, like, not to like, not to characterize the Academy in a certain way, but this is a movie about old people and being elderly and what that experience is like. And you don't see that specific perspective in films every day, let alone to this extent, to how harsh this is and how truthful this is. Like that is really going to resonate with a lot of older voters on top of the nostalgia and respect and their personal friendships with everybody involved with this movie. Oh yeah. Does anyone have it in for cinematography? I did, but took it out after I saw it. I don't think I I do. I took it out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have it in there. But, but, but I, I think like, it could get in, and it would be. No, fun. I do. What? <laughs> uh, it's hanging in five. Uh, and then when it comes to the uh, sound categories, I, I actually took it out of yeah, uh, both too. sound categories. I, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to like predict a film maxing out. I'm trying to like slowly then chip away. Uh, because, you know, we see snubs or we're like, oh, well, how did it not get that editing nomination or whatever? Like still to this day, I can't believe Wolf of Wall Street didn't get an editing nomination, you know? Um, so I guess you never know in that regard, right? But um, I will say costume design, I am like ready to do it. I just need to drop something and it's really, really hard right now. I did move it into production design recently. Good. Uh, I have it in my fifth slot for production design. And Ryan, I'm with you in that I think it is going to win visual effects and I think it is going to win editing. Um, I especially feel confident about editing uh, just because you don't make a three and a half hour movie and have it be this freaking good. And we already talked about how the pacing in this movie is just immaculate because of how it all kind of like crystallizes in the third act the way that it does. I mean, I just can't see a world where people don't recognize that. Well, I think... um going off of that i uh, it's hard for me to imagine i know like i know everybody has this big like uh like anticipation for 1917 but i just can't imagine like the academy looking at this movie and not voting for scorsese for director and i'm not saying this from a personal personal preference way at all i think this is like a uh, this is a vote from the heart for the academy and like uh, it's i think he's i think he's the front runner See, for me, in terms of who's going to win director, that's the real bitch. <laughs> if I could steal Tom's no, phrase right now. I think he's going to win. It, it's between four for me at the moment with Mendez, Tarantino, Bong Joon-ho, and Scorsese. And I go back and forth every single week. Every week, it's like I, I'm i feeling this in my gut. Now I'm feeling this in my gut. It's it's really, really tricky, and I, I don't know which way to lean. I will say this, though. I do think if Scorsese is winning director – I think then the film can win picture. And historically speaking, movies that are three hours or longer tend to win best picture. That's yeah. true. There's a certain gravitas to uh, that that length. Right? It feels like it has importance, uh, historical significance, social significance, if you will, if it appeals to a certain demographic of the Academy, as Ryan was saying before, in many ways. Um, 
there's even a world, and I think this would be a stretch, uh, but there is a world where if, hypothetically, let's say the two popes doesn't get a Best Picture nomination and Jojo Rabbit, for some reason, gets snubbed on the morning, uh, that, that creates, I think, a scenario where Irishman might win adapted. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, yeah. It would, but... Yeah, that's unlikely, but yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I know it's unlikely, but it, would you agree that it is number three in the category behind those two? Yes. Yeah, I have it. It's yeah. not number two. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have it at number two, personally. Yeah. Yeah, I have it at three. Yeah. Anything else in terms of, uh, yeah, like, uh, so, I'm uh, sorry, also, too, I mentioned I do have it winning visual effects. I know we talked about, like, the flaws in the visual effects to a certain extent, Yeah. but... I think it's pretty undeniable uh, that the category in recent years has just shown us all that if your film has a Best Picture nomination or it feels like it would have been a Best Picture nominee, even though it didn't, it has like other nominations to help kind of support that argument. Maybe it was number nine and it missed or number 10, whatever, what have you. Um, Irishman fits the bill right now in terms of the layout of the category this year. In fact, it looks like it might be the only Best picture nominee amongst the category this year. Yeah. Right. If yeah. it can get in, I think it stands a good chance. I could see a world though where it does get snubbed. Um, and also if Disney wants to, they could totally pull like a, this is the last Star Wars movie if they wanted to pretend that it was and hopefully maybe <laughs> get it in there like, you know, for a win. But yeah, I think if it gets into the category, I think Irishman has a very good chance of winning. All right. Is there anything else uh, about Oscars that anyone wants to just point out an observation or anything like that or good? All right. Anyone, anyone else besides Ryan? Because, uh, Ryan, you have it winning Best Picture, right? You know, I do. I mean, you know, I was listening to Sasha's um, podcast recently, and she t- was talking about how the Best Picture on the preferential has to be an uplifter, and this one is the opposite of that. But I, 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 there, I just feel like, I don't know why, but I keep going back to the Shape of Water kind of path where it wins director and two texts, and then, boom, there it is. And you add in Nostalgia, which the Shape of, Shape of Water also had, like, and... I just and plus what I was saying about like appealing to the specific demographic, I that's what I'm thinking right now. And I can't imagine most voters ranking Irishmen below second or third place, even if they even if they prefer the uplifting blah blah of Jojo or something. Like I can't imagine. I think there's so much there's gonna be so much respect for this movie. No one's gonna rank it ninth out of spite. Well, Kevin Feige might, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have it at two, so I I I definitely could see it happening. It's one of those that I could see. I have Hollywood at the moment, but I think I'm going to move Irishman in because I had Hollywood in as kind of a default, but I think this fits a default even better until we start seeing some actual precursors because I'm uh, pretty damn lost this year so far. I don't know about you guys, um, <laughs> but that's that's where I am. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue with the way the season is uh, laid out. Um, none of the precursors are really going to help us this year. No, I and agree. That's going to be the most interesting thing. So you're going to have to just go with your gut and hope for the best. Yep. He's a hustler since we've been and win everything. Who knows? <laughs> yes. All right, everyone. That's our review of The Irishman here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Uh, Ryan C. Showers, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me at RCS818 on Twitter. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Cody Derricks. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at CodyMouse91. Give a listen to my horror movie podcast. You can find us at Halloweeners Pod. And Tom O'Brien. And I'm on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Irishman here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including a throwback review of Goodfellas, which we recently did. So if you want to hear our review of that, then listen to our review of The Irishman, which, you know, you probably already have since you're at the end right now, so that makes sense. Then you can maybe listen to it again. I don't know. Whatever. In any event, thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time. That review was like half of an Irishman length. (laughs) Good job, guys. I'm going to bed. Good night. I, uh... It is what it is. Go to bed, you fuck. (laughs) Jesus.